this weekend, I participated in my very first academic conference, the annual uh, meeting of the Shakespeare Association of America, which despite its name is a, is a very global affair. But nonetheless, it was I had to present a paper. I think I had to write a paper and talk about it with other learned, way more learned folks than I am. And two of those learned folks um, are the conveners of this particular uh, seminar on Shakespearean biofiction on the stage and screen. And so I guess my first question to you guys is uh, the conferences this weekend, our seminar was yesterday. Did we solve it? Did we solve Shakespearean biofiction? Yes, we have all the answers right now, yes. No further questions, Your Honor. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 15th year, number 748, Analyzing Shakespearean Biofiction. Dr. Adele Semple from University College in Cork, Ireland, and Dr. Ronan Hatful from the University of Warwick convened a seminar entitled Shakespearean Biofiction on the Stage and Screen for this year's annual Conference of the Shakespeare Association of America. I wrote a paper about how Reed Martin and I made William Shakespeare himself a character in William Shakespeare's long-lost first play, Abridged, and then participated in a two-hour conversation this weekend with a wonderful and only mildly intimidating group of scholars from around the world. Adele and Ronan were gracious enough to join me the next day, yesterday, to tell me how they thought it all went, and I was able to thank them properly for allowing me to participate. It was fascinating for me because I personally I'm very um, uh, a project driven and goal oriented, and and yet what it seems like these academic conferences are are just let's just keep asking questions. Let's keep asking. We're, we don't really care about the answers. We just want to keep asking questions and talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. Which is fascinating if it's a if it's a subject you're interested in, and it's maddening if you get into these cul-de-sacs of <laughs> circularity. Um, how did you think the conversation went? It was fascinating for me, and I thought you guys. Um, 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 shaped it, framed it, um, uh, and 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 directed it in a really, I thought, inclusive and welcoming and focused way. Yeah, I I think it went really well. I think it's I um I I used the metaphor to um to to my parents speaking to them about it afterwards that it's almost like not that I've ever been married, but it's like being at your own wedding where you feel like you're kind of trying to like really enjoy it and organize everything to within an inch of its life at the same time but I think we were we were lucky um to have found each other um and to have had this <laughs> had this had this kind of this really nice blend of it being organized and convivial and that's what we wanted that was that was deliberate that was intentional we wanted it to feel um relaxed um and and people to have fun um Adele might speak about where that impulse came from but we also we, we needed it to be organized fun um mm. at the same time so yeah. yeah yeah we had talked quite a bit about this and and um 
you know, planned it rigorously. And I was making the comparison of Ronan saying it's like a wedding day. I, I thought it was a bit like what you guys do in Reduce Shakes Company, that in that we wanted it to look super relaxed and casual and be very friendly. And that's why we made sure to introduce all the speakers and the auditors and kind of get a sense that we're all in, in a room together, even if we're not there physically. Um, in that, so there's loads of prep work um, to give the sense of spontaneity um, and lots of kind of work going into keeping an eye on what was going on in the chat in, in the Zoom meeting as well. And then talking to one another, all the papers we printed out, all the papers we've read and, you know, people's facial expressions, all sorts of things. So there's a lot definitely to, to monitor. But I, I think I still have the text that I sent to Ron. I was like, I want it to be crack. I want to have the crack because yeah. that's. That's what we we've had anytime we've worked together, and I want to bring a, a bit of that, um, and and that's partially because the material is fun and funny, like long lost shakes and will, and there's some hilarious kind of now out of date ridiculous stuff in the Will Shakespeare uh, TV series from 1978, including fabulous red leather pants. Um, so you know there's there's you know besides the really serious stuff, there's also kind of like hilarious stuff that we wanted to discuss them. Now you mean pants in the in the American sense of trousers, yeah? Yes, yes. Okay. Whew. Yes. <laughs> that I was I, clearly I'm going to have to watch that, regardless of which Tim meaning. Tim Curry. You're... It's Tim Curry from Rocky Horror plays Shakespeare. Oh yeah. What, oh, yeah. I was focused. So I wrote my paper on um, on the on the fact that we made William Shakespeare a character in 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 Long Lost Shakes, um, which was great because that that made me think about well why did we do that? I knew there was a reason. I mean I knew what the, I, I, it was. It was fascinating for me to try to analyze my own artistic impulses that are born of something clearly, but I don't. I've never had to sit down and examine what what they're born of. Um, and so that was fascinating. And some of the papers focused on biofiction, the depiction of Shakespeare. And some people focused on adaptation of, of, of Shakespeare and even adaptation of his life. What, what my takeaway from the thing was that adaptation is a form of biofiction. You know, in, in, in adapting his works, you're sort of examining the choices that Shakespeare made and and trying to figure out why he made those choices and then making different choices to them. Um, so it was it was fascinating for me. Yeah, kind of Ramona Ray, who was our respondent at the end, kind of brought up so many interesting things. And one of the things um, that links to what you're saying there, Austin, was the fact that we shouldn't look at biofiction as a separate uh, field away from you know, adaptations of Shakespeare's plays. I suppose in Long Lost you're doing both, which is what makes, which is part of what makes it so interesting. But it made me think about how interesting it is that we've had this boom in the way that we had the 90s boom of Shakespeare on screen. We've had this boom of biofiction um, in the, you know, throughout the, throughout the 2010s. Why is that? Is it something to do with the anniversaries? Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that I, I kind of thought it might be something to do with the quarter centenary in, in 2016, but it's been like I've been noticing it on a small and a large scale. So like off the top of my head, I was at um, a, an educational performance by Cyclone Rep here in Ireland. They do these sessions for secondary school children, high school kids. And it was a performance of Romeo and Juliet. And the way they've written it, they have kind of teenagers trying to study Romeo and Juliet and then it becomes partly the play. But they have Will Shakespeare come on stage, you know, magically using a Harry Potter spell book, he appears. So that was in a kind of 
you know semi kind of local um, um, professional company and everything. Um, we had it at another play, um, Much Ado About Nothing by Rough Magic, had Shakespeare come on as a kind of cowboy and sing a song at the end. Um, and then in um, 2016, uh, one of our local uh, writers here, Jura Fitzgibbon, had a play called The Bed, and that was an entirely new work about Anne Hathaway sitting on the second best bed and talking about it. So there's been these emergences as Ronan's flagging in the last decade, definitely increasingly. Uh, and we were trying to put our finger on why and and how those things work and how they talk to one another. And again, just to, to recognize Ramona Ray's great contribution um, as a respondent yesterday, she was kind of encouraging us to think about biofiction as an international thing. So what we looked at in the seminar yesterday was largely UK and US productions and stage and screen and, and Irish, sorry, um, um, so kind of European, um, but to look further afield um, beyond the Anglo phone um, um, productions basically and to think across time as well when did biofiction start how does you know I does something like anonymous uh, relate to to will shakespeare um to to prose depictions novels um, about anne hathaway for example it's interesting when you're talking about the international well and also the time thing i i when we did when we premiered long lost shakes in at the folger in 2016 richard shook wrote his article where he placed the reduced shakespeare company on this timeline continuum of vaudeville burlesques yeah. of 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 shakespeare and it was thrilling to discover oh hey we're part of something <laughs> we're part of something that's been going on for hundreds of years uh, but also this international aspect that you're talking about much was much was made in several of the papers yesterday of 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 uh, shakespeare being depicted as a loser and and that's a that seems like a particularly british formulation of of taking down a national icon um and 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 somebody brought up something rotten the broadway musical something rotten as the american example of this but that seems different to me there's when you're talking about dressing shakespeare up as a cowboy or or your shakespeare gets presented in the way we feel like he'll be most uh, presentable or 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 reflective of who we are as creators mm -hmm. um and so, so in in um in uh in something rotten he shakespeare is is the literary thief we know him to be, but brought down to a gangster scale, a gangster rock star scale. So, and and to and to, in the reduce in Long Lost Shakes, he's a struggling playwright like we are, you know. So I guess we're bringing him down too, but not in a loser way, in a in a in an aspirational way, which I guess that's. Maybe that's strictly American, right? This aspirational idea. Oh, and now look what I've done. I've just taken us down a cul-de-sac of circularity with me doing all the talking. Please continue. I was going to ask you, Austin. Uh, you know, the origin of Shakespeare in the in the in the other RSC. Um, I I you know I'm really interested in the radio show and um, William Shakespeare's little-known trip to America. Um, as it, it, the final episode of your BBC radio series, where did the um, where, did, where did the inspiration for um, you know satirizing the process of Shakespeare's genius, um, it's his his coming of age and and that Britishness that and the American um, kind of harnessing that that cultural reputation, where did that come from as an idea? 
I think it was inspired by um, some of the program material that the original guys created for the program about how uh, we think that Shakespeare would uh, lo- uh, would not be rolling in his grave. In fact, we think he would love what we were doing to his plays and would go out bowling with us on a Saturday night. Um, uh, and with a, and and the whole icon of the company being the American Converse trainers sneakers. Yeah. Um, just that aspect of, and the fact that we were American, I think that we were, uh, I know it was unconscious on my part, but as I think about it now, um, I think we were, you know, claiming him. Well, of course, Shakespeare is American. You know, we always, we, we always say that we were going to call our book, Reduce Shakespeare, the guide to America's greatest living playwright. I think it just, we, we saw it as a great clothesline on which to hang all these gags about where Shakespeare's influences from, you know, he goes to see a performance of West Side Story in America. He goes, "Hey, I could turn that into a <laughs> play about two Italian teenagers." Um, uh, and again, I think I think I said this yesterday. That's that's a that's an an awareness of how much I think Shakespeare is in our cultural DNA. Certainly in American cultural DNA, and and, and I'm sure European as well. Related to that, I was going to ask about how you. Uh, it was one of the questions I think I, I put into the chat yesterday about what's the minimum you need to have to signify Shakespeare in, in scare quotes. Is it a bald cap? Is it, you know, a, a, a nice rough? Is it red leather pants? Um, so, you know, what, what do you need to say Shakespeare? And um, one of the uh, auditors yesterday was pointing out that uh, Will in the series, Will and the Mitchell Shakespeare and Upstart Crow, they're supposed to be the same age, but one of them is a, a middle-aged kind of grumpy guy uh, and then the other is a kind of semi-hipster if they're still a thing uh, you know kind of open shirt and um, jack the lad about town and um, finding his way in the world so um yeah how, how did you guys kind of come up with your and is it back does it all hark back to the i never know how to pronounce this but the drought out um portrait the, the you know the famous portrait um is that where you're taking your inspiration for us, for us, we absolutely took it from the Drushout portrait, which, and 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 our uh, the joke we wanted to make in um our in pop up Shakespeare was we wanted to have a, many drawings of Shakespeare at many different ages, from an infant to a toddler to a child to a teenager, and in all cases he would be bald with a goatee and a ruff. Um, he always looked like that. I mean, for us, he's always looked like that. But Christian Borrell played Shakespeare in Something Rotten and had the same similar look to mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, the guy who played Will in the in, in the miniseries. And I think red leather pants signifies a lot of things. Yeah. I'm not sure it signifies automatically Shakespeare, but maybe it should. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I noticed rewatching Will that he's got the leather pants on, but when David Mitchell has them on, they're a different kind of leather pants. <laughs> Yeah, that might be taking us down a different avenue. Please save us, Ronan. Hi, this is Stephen Weber, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Hey, it's April, and you know what that means. It's William Shakespeare's birthday month. So it's the perfect time to give the Shakespearean in your life of any age 
Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. Pop-Up Shakespeare is on sale worldwide, and you can find links to independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. And now back to my conversation with Drs. Adele Semple and Ronan Hatful, talking about the seminar they just led at the annual Shakespeare Association of America conference, Shakespearean Biofiction on the Stage and Screen. I thought it was really great that you and Aaron Proudfoot, um, who was your partner in the seminar yesterday, were speaking to each other, not just because of the uh, the repertory studies um, discussion that Adele has already mentioned. I also think that I, I, it, got, it made me think something about long loss that I've never thought about before. And I know that you've talked to me about this in the past, Austin, about how no reviewers um, pointed out that the Shakespeare in long loss is meant to be a teenager. And I know that, the Shakespeare in Will isn't a teenager, um, and I've and I yeah, Laurie Davidson was in his mid twenties when the show was broadcast in twenty seventeen, but it it made me think like what would what would what would long lost Shakespeare, teen Shakespeare behave like if he was actually played by a teenager or a younger actor? He's meant to be seventeen, isn't he? I think that'd be a great idea. I, I can't wait to see Long Lost done by by high school kids, um, because I do. I quite like the idea that chorus is maybe divided up amongst several actors, and that and that Shakespeare is then played by um, a, a different actor. And I think because I think it will be funny to see a seventeen year old person of any gender um, with a bald cap. And a and a, a mustache and a Van Dyke and a ruff. Uh, I think that's just funny. That's the signifier, as you said, Adele, of of what Shakespeare is. Um, it really it really suggests that anybody could play him. I mean, like the role Shakespeare, the role of Shakespeare himself in Long Lost could be divided up amongst several actors who just keep take passing along the bald cap and the mustache and the ruff. You know, all of that. Once you wear that. You are Shakespeare. And his paper and in the discussion yesterday, Doug Lanier was talking about how Shakespeare in Upstart Crow in particular is a kind of an everyman. And he compared him to, to Homer Simpson, um, which kind of sent us down different kind of um, uh, routes for thinking about kind of the people around him. So I was wondering if, if um, Anne Hathaway then, is she a kind of Marge Simpson, a kind of long suffering wife who tolerates her, her husband's foibles? And um, so, yeah, we, we, we didn't just talk about um, um, Shakespeare, and, but we also talked uh, broadly about his circle. And that seems to be another kind of trend in, in the last kind of 2010s is, is broadening things out to Shakespeare's family and presenting him as more maybe domestic and paternal and more of a homebody as opposed to a kind of um I was going to say Lothario but he's more kind of like uh, um kind of I don't know sexy hipster guy um I think is how my students have, have often described him saying Shakespeare in love like which is the I think the progenitor of a lot of the the biofictions in in recent years um well and I think it's I think it's I mean that's a great analogy of 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 Shakespeare and Upstart Crow and Homer Simpson, but those are both parodies of sitcom dads. Those are both parodies of a, of a type. Um, uh, I wouldn't, I, 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 I don't think that David Mitchell's up uh, Shakespeare is at all Homer Simpson ish. Yeah. Um, 
um, because I think they're both different parody spins on an archetype of a sitcom dad. That's that's my impression. I again, I I I I don't agree. I don't think I agree with the depiction of Shakespeare, the conception of Shakespeare as a loser in particularly an upstart crow because I think again he's trying. He's really in over his head. Um, uh, he doesn't. He doesn't know what he knows, and he doesn't know what he's capable of. And we do, but you know, he's trying, and he's tr- and he's failing. And I think that's both funny and sort of endearing. But I I could be in the minority about that. I I remember another comment. I think it was Richard O'Brien, um, who was another of our contributors. Met, um, he made a comment about uh, whether another tv tradition which is the kind of the 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 box the um the uh the kind of binge binge watching drama so um he he made a point that maybe this uh turn towards like father shakespeare um or a kind of shakespeare the family man trying to navigate the world was born partly out of the kind of the walter white's of of this world and i suppose going further back the time of tony soprano's the sort of disaffected middle class white man um yeah i'm kind of i'm i'm borrowing richard's point and building on it here but i yeah i wondered whether there's something to that i know that that's a different that's the same thing in some ways as homer simpson just shifted into you know if you think about brian cranston how how his characters in malcolm in the middle and breaking bad are only kind of a few steps removed from each other it's just genre that changes them that's another thing that i'm interested in but yeah well it's interesting too that the examples you may of walter white and tony soprano are both see i think i think seemingly you could trace them back to richard the third yeah you know just the 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 anti-hero we talk about the rise of the anti-hero yeah but shakespeare did that you know he's shakespeare gave us anti-heroes um yeah i think disaffect sure disaffected white men particularly disaffected white men in 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 a world now where we are finally forced to acknowledge the presence of women and you know people of color and I don't know people on all all points on the gender spectrum, so I, I, it feels like it's a reaction to that as well. You know, finding Shakespeare in this new world of awareness. The layers of, of irony in Upstart Crow are so so difficult to unravel, and I think that's part of what Anna Anna's paper, um, uh, Anna Blackwell's paper. Um, and she coined the kind of the term loserdom for us yesterday was kind of getting at it's really really hard to tell with with the writer Ben Elton's um, kind of approach to irony when he's giving you his honest opinion and I think he's kind of you I say this Austin because I think he is that disaffected white man trying to keep up but there are times when you're like no 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 he does he he actually does understand these things he does understand how to behave, how to kind of how to um, kind of give these issues the respect that they're due. And then there are other times when you think, OK, no, he doesn't because he's kind of having his cake and eating it. And that's why I think the kind of the the, the line between irony and sincerity and upstart crow is more muddled and ultimately less successfully um, bridged than in, say, like Blackadder for me i think sincerity might be one of the the issues um with with all is true uh, uh, i quite liked that movie um 
all performances setting the whole lot um but i will at the same time kind of pick holes in it and i think that some of it is that it was so somber and I'm, i saw headlines like or kind of reviews kind of calling it shakespeare in mourning um rather than shakespeare in love and it's it's so deadly kind of serious and again a couple of the papers on a blackwell's doug lanier's um were, were pointing out the it's a kind of cardinal sin, particularly in, in the kind of British culture, to kind of take yourself too seriously and to be um, and, and to be sincere and heartfelt. Well, it's just asking to be kind of poked uh, and um, deflated. So I think that's definitely what's going on in, in Upstart Crow. It's, so maybe Ben Elton in writing All Is True is expressing two different Shakespeare's and, and following um, different kind of emotional, what am I trying to say? Cut this out, it's so inarticulate. Um, but something about um uh, yeah, emotions and sincerity. Like we've got two two households, two Shakespeare's um, and <laughs> two um But different... I would uh, but I would argue that you know Shakespeare in Love and Upstart Crow are no less serious and sincere in in their attempts, you know. They are still tackling, I mean, the the last three minutes of the final regular episode of Upstart Crow is more genuinely moving than the entire two hours of All Is True. Yep. And it's, I mean, this is my high horse. I'm climbing up on that high horse. Whoa, Nelly. Um, um, you know, tragedy to my mind is a much overrated genre and comedy mm. is a much more interesting one because, you know, comedy sets you up, it relaxes you and then boom, it can pull the rug out from under you. And the the self-seriousness of the, and it's not even the, well, it's earnestness of all is true, but it's, it's just, it's stop taking yourself so damn seriously. Yeah, you yeah. can still get the exact same points, but I know that we talked about this yesterday too, that Branna, that Branna is working through some things in his yeah. movie that have yeah, nothing to do with Shakespeare or little. Yeah, yeah. And, and our contributors were greater in adding to that kind of conversation because I, I brought up a question about kind of Branna's Irish identity and um, other uh, other contributors in the, the group and auditors were talking about, you know, his age and his, his history as an actor. But on the co comedy being underrated in comparison to tragedy on that, I have two points. One, I always say to my students, as I'm looking at 500 of them bored on nine o'clock on a Monday morning, uh, it's damn hard to make them laugh, but I could probably make them cry with the word exam um, or, you know, boring them to tears. Um, so yeah, I'm up there trying trying to engage people. And the second thing is, you floored me with um, long lost shakes with um, uh, when uh, he's dying at the end, and and uh, Puck is. Uh, and I was telling Rowan, and I, I've definitely been um, watched the Hoffman and Midsummer Night's Dream far too often, and the the Pyramus and Thisbe. It always makes me cry, and that's so you reminded me of that. And I started crying in my office. I was like, God damn it, Austin! This is meant to be a comedy. Yeah, so. Uh, I felt very, very emotional about it. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Adele, Ronan, and I talked a lot longer, weirdly enough, so I might continue our conversation in a future podcast episode. Until then, send us your lens for examining Shakespeare via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSC Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. 
You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and you can follow Ronan and Adele on Twitter too at Ronan Hatful and at Shakes in Ireland. Thanks, as always, to fellow loser schlub Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Stocky Joe, who left us a fantastic review on iTunes. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Stephen Weber, who, as far as I know, has zero connection to Shakespeare. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, stay home, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 748, 2244ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. By the way, to completely um, go off track, um, um, Austin, did you? Did I see a tweet that you like tea? What kind of tea? Like English tea? Marks and Spencer's uh, Extra Strength in the Blue Box is my tea of choice have you tried barry's tea it's made here in cork it's famous it's a good strong tea barry's is quite good as well barry's i haven't been able to get the marks and spencers for the last um 10 months so barry's has been our go-to and it's been terrific i like the irish breakfast i think more than the just normal strength but uh i'm a builder's tea guy myself yeah yeah these, these are the important pressing questions of the day, you know, kind of. Indeed. I want to know about the weather and I want to know about tea. I, I am bringing the Irish here. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.